Hey, what's going on? This is uh, Jeremy Thone, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm excited to share an interview with William Letts. He is the Head of Sales Enablement for GoFreight. I used to work with Will a few years back at a startup in Los Angeles. We kind of talk about what is involved in sales enablement, such as building out playbooks for sales teams, and then holistically bridging the gap between marketing and sales, creating strategic narrative for your team, to talking points, sales decks, and all the software tools that is used within an org. I hope you enjoy. Will, I worked at a startup with you a couple years back. I won't name the name, but uh, for those that don't know you, would you mind introducing yourself? And I, I know you got a new gig. You're the head of sales enablement. So uh, let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, we've we've worked together in the past. My name is Will Lentz. I've done a lot in the growth space past seven or eight years. I'm really actually pretty excited about this new sales enablement task that I'm taking on. Sales enablement is kind of a new topic. It's not entirely, but it, it's becoming more and more of a focus of different companies as they are trying to grow. And basically it's just taking the idea that it's helpful to have one person sort of have a holistic view of what's marketing doing, what's sales doing, what are our messages that are going to market and how can we really identify who our personas are, what our ideal customer is and what they need to hear in order to, to get more meat of that. And that can come in the form of marketing messaging or sales outreach, that kind of thing. Is this, it seems like a sales enablement roles. I see them a lot in tech startup kind of community, but I wouldn't say that they're super common in the supply chain, maybe more so in the supply chain tech, I would say, but has that been your experience as well? Yeah, it does seem like the supply chain area is starting to become technologically aware, right? Um, like it is in some of in some of the people that we've been talking to and, and in some of the industries that we've been working with, there is kind of a lagging need for tech, but people are starting to see the benefit of it. And so because people are seeing the benefit of it, I think that there are these roles and these systems that are coming over from traditional tech uh, companies that are starting to be replicated in the in the industry. And realistically too, it makes sense when you think about it, but because sales and marketing often tend to be very siloed, people don't always consider that this is the kind of next step that they should take. And beyond just making sure that your messaging is right, I wanted to mention too, it's basically taking like, what are the best practices of our best salespeople and best practices of our best performing campaigns and making sure that everyone is equipped with it. Making sure that we have the Batman utility belt that everyone can kind of pull from at the same time. That makes total sense. So is it kind of aligning marketing and sales so that everyone's sort of in lockstep on the same sort of page? Is that kind of like one of the main goals of enablement? Yeah, it is. It, a lot of it is making sure that there's that kind of uh, two-way communication channel between sales and marketing, but in more advanced sales enablement programs too, it can be like, here is our sales playbook. Here is your cold calling script. Here are the pain points we're specifically trying to address in this industry. And these are the talking points on how we will get there. And really, you know, I, I think something that you see in the tech space and having both of us been in there, you tend to see people come in in a small startup and they have to wear a ton of different hats. This was something that like, I just kind of fell into because I was liking to wear the hat of the person that was listening to the market and providing our sales reps with gas to light the fires. Continuing iterations of what is the market responding to here? All right. Hey, Jeremy, why don't you try these talking points with this specific market? And hey, so-and-so, why don't you try this with this specific market? And then studying and seeing, you know, what is going to get us our most effective shot? What's going to give us the most efficient use of resources? Um, so it's just kind of going into our approach with that mindset. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I know that you're new over at your company. So how do you, how do you uh, digest 
what the market's going to say and like what messages, how do you initially go about figuring out your messaging? Man, you know, that's tough. And I think everybody probably has a different way of doing it, especially like, look, I, you know, I have a tech background and I'm now coming into like supply chain and freight management and that kind of stuff. And, and that's difficult. Like, but what I do find is I spend as much time in the first, honestly, always, but the first like two to six weeks are the most important times to do it consuming everything I can find, um, sitting in on demos. If I can, if people are doing demos, talking to customers, figuring out the secret weapon, I think is talking to customers because there's someone that has already selected your service or you're already working with, and they might have a thing that they really love about what it is that you do that you don't even know that you're doing. Um, or it's just a, a small part of what you're uh, sending out to the market. And the more that you talk to them and the more you listen to the, to the people that are actually using it that don't have a vested stake in your company, aside from just, you know, making sure that, that it's working for them, the more you're going to find out what's going to resonate with other people that are like them. Um, so it really tries to make sure that we are staying kind of customer focused versus the things that we come up with in a white room, in a whiteboard room. No, it is interesting. I, there's one guy that I really like named Andy Raskin. He wrote a sales deck. And it's interesting how like a lot of companies or a lot of reps will go out and they'll kind of talk about themselves, their company, and it's all about me, me, me. And I think that the really good reps are the ones that are able to somehow like synthesize information that basically go into a room and talk to people in such a way that they know all the right things to say in the order to say them at the right time. And I don't, I don't, I don't have that skill, but I, I've seen you and Ash, our old friend, Ash, you guys were both really good at presenting and you kind of both kind of had that as well. So I think, I don't know if it's like a natural talent or what it is, but. It, it's definitely not. And, and, <laughs> and this is something that I'll bring up here and, and could be interesting to talk about is that when I started sales, I was not a salesperson. You know, this was eight years ago. I started as an SDR, but it was the same time I also started doing improv comedy. And I think that there's a lot of similarities. I mean, there's a, there, listen, if you want to find uh, someone to come in on a workshop and tell you why uh, improv comedy is what your salespeople should be doing, it's out there. But I think it goes beyond just the simple thing that everyone knows, which is like, yes, and. So say yes to the thing that someone said and then build off of it. Um, what it really is, comes down to is learning how to listen. That is ultimately what, what will get you success, I think, in life, but specifically in sales as well. Because... I've always believed that people will tell you how to solve them. If you go in and you ask questions about them, what are their pains and, and come in as a, as a person that understands the market a little bit and you can share, you know, these are, this is what we're seeing. Is that what you're seeing? This, this is a trend that we've seen and, and, and some of the other people that we've been talking to have been having issues with it is how, how are you handling that at your company? People will start talking to you because they want to talk about themselves. And when you listen, you can start to figure out, oh, we're a fit in these areas. And if you're going to be completely honest there's sometimes when you're not a fit and and if you're forthcoming with that and be like hey you know what it sounds like it might be better if you went and worked with this other company because they're great and you know they they do this part a little bit differently then down the line who knows where that person will be ultimately so it's it's kind of a relationship game but it also really comes down to that how can i listen and connect with this person and then really try to figure out if there's a there's a good fit here no, I like that. I think that when you do listen and when you're also coming from a place where you're not really, if you're okay walking away either way and you give them that option, almost like that Sandler thing where like, Hey, yeah. like if you hate me after this 30 seconds, just hang up on me or whatever. Yeah. People like the, the power of being able to say no and that they're in the driver's seat, because I think that most people are just scared that they're going to end up in a situation where they're going to get sold something like my ex uh, wife, her, uh, 
her mom bought like six timeshares and she didn't even know she bought them. So I think that people have, wow. I, I don't know how you do that, but like yeah. it happened. People get in these situations, I think, where people get one up or whatever in these situations that they don't necessarily want to buy something and do. So I think that there's a little bit of that as well. It's tough. Sales as a profession has always been around, but also, I don't have the number on this, but I would imagine for the past 80 years, there's been stuff in media of people being like, well, there's the slimy salesperson, there's the person that's going to try to, the used car salesman, whatever it is, is going to try to sweet talk you into, into a deal. And, and, and that can happen sometimes. Honestly, to pull it back toward a, to, to sort of sales enablement, like your company is not going to succeed if you have one or two of those people that are crushing it every day, uh, because that's just, they have that innate ability to persuade somebody into something. Your company succeeds when you can really really lock in on what a pain of an industry is and get everyone kind of preaching that because then you can, it goes back to that sort of uh, predictable revenue model where you're, you're saying then, all right, well, we can train most people who are personable to be able to listen and be able to respond to certain, certain things, certain topics that come up around this conversation. And we have a product that we know can fix that. You remove the idea of the individual superstar that might be a little sleazy and turn it into the team of people that like know how to talk and can actually help the market in a certain way. I've never used Gong. I look at a lot of their stuff on LinkedIn and it kind of reminds me of what you're saying there, you know, instead of having one rep that's saying one thing and another rep saying another thing, it's kind of making sure that everyone's kind of saying the same sort of messaging. Are you guys using any tools like that? Or do you plan on using any tools like that for, or what, what is your tech stack looking like over there? Right now, our tech stack is, we're still figuring all of it out entire. Like, I mean, we, we're trialing a couple of different things. We, we currently use Pipedrive for our CRM. We're using Kixie for a calling software and using Yesware for our kind of outreach right now. Um, we're not using Gong at the moment. I like Gong. I think it's interesting. If, for those of you that don't know Gong, Gong is like a way for, for people to record calls and record demos and you can be, and it provides analytics over it and, and you kind of go back and, and kind of watch the tape effectively and see where sales reps can improve. One thing I think though, like those tools can be intimidating to a sales rep and it really comes down to, does your manager have your back with that kind of stuff? Because I was a sales rep before where I didn't feel like my manager might have my back. And like, I don't want them listening to my calls then because I know that they're just going to look for a reason to pick me apart. Um, sure. But NFL players watch tape. They watch game tape and try to figure out how to get better. So like if you can go into it with that mentality and if your manager is really someone that wants to coach you and, and help you out or you have a sales enablement role that is like, what, what great thing did you do there that I can pull and show to everyone else? What are the positives, not just the negatives? Then I think Gong can be like a really powerful tool uh, for that kind of thing. Prior to this, always use Salesforce. Sure. I like Salesforce, but at some stops I've been at, the Salesforce has been so messy because no one's putting the stuff in in the right way, or it's been so heavy because so many add-ons have been added that I think it's kind of refreshing to have sort of a lighter CRM that is faster and it's easier to kind of navigate, right? Yeah. As we scale much larger, I think then that, you know, it makes sense to maybe upgrade to something a little bit heavier, but for right now, something like Pipedrive is, is, is definitely a scratching the itch. Yeah, I know when I worked with you, we were using SalesLoft, and and since then I've used SalesLoft and Outreach.io quite a bit, which are those sales enablement programs. And I would say that a lot of people that I speak to in the supply chain industry don't even know what those tools are. But it's my it's it's interesting because I think they're extremely powerful. Is that something that you're open to using at your new role as well, or? Yeah, absolutely. I love those tools. I mean, and we're right now we're using Yesware as a version of it. Um, but you know, if if there's listeners out there that don't know 
what those tools are specifically. It's it's out, outreach automation, um, and it is huge when it comes to having sales enablement efforts because it's basically saying let's create for a variety of different types of campaigns that will have, and, and when I say campaigns, I mean like email marketing campaigns that will go to different industries and we'll get analytics on open rates based upon, you know, subject lines and click through rates and even conversion rates. And, you know, there might be a 10 email campaign that's going out and we find that the third email gets a lot of conversions. That's great. What, what in there is resonating with the market and how can we roll that out earlier? We need to or how can we put that into the demos if we need to stuff like that so it's a really great research tool but on the rep side it's really it, it helps keep you organized because you're like all right well today i have to do email four to these 20 contacts and call six to these 10 and 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 put this many more in the hopper so i can continue having that in the next couple of weeks so i i honestly love those tools i have been a big fan of sales loft for a while. I think outreach is pretty good too, but sales loft is kind of what I learned on. So it's kind of, that's got my brand loyalty for now. No, I love sales loft too. I, I think that they're a great program. There's somewhere out here too. I believe they're like in Georgia or something. Mm. No, I think that's right. Yeah. I think they're like in the, in the Southeast. In this new role, what's the, kind of some of the initial things that you want to do, I guess, when you're getting started. So you're going to digest some of this messaging. What, yeah. What's like on your roadmap for like the next six weeks? What I always try to do when I come into a new spot is I try to look at the things that haven't been looked at yet. And so one of the things I'm trying to focus on right now is where are we getting our most successes? And let's just narrowly focus on those. Who, where, what customers are the happiest with us and why are they the happiest with us? And let's focus on that story and take that story to similar types of customers. And that may seem like it's a pretty obvious thing when you don't have someone that's specifically looking for it. Mm -hmm. especially at a smaller startup, people just do what they need to do to meet their own individual goals. And that can be great. And, you know, when you come into a place, like I'm, I'm very fortunate that the new company I joined is they, they haven't had to do a lot of this and they're still selling a lot. So like, great, there's a lot of area there for where we can take what's working and roll it out to a lot more people. So that kind of analysis and focusing is a, is, is a big thing that I'm wanting to do to start. And then another thing is I'm trying to like start a webinar series so we can engage with different like associations where where we can network, but also uh, kind of warm up some people to kind of our name and that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. And then that data that you're after, I guess, like, would you just look at like closed one for just go and how do you get that data, I guess, and who, you just talk to the reps and just kind of Yeah, it that's where the, the CRM comes in, right? That's where the pipe drive comes in. I do look at the closed one. But beyond that, too, a lot of it is that just kind of anecdotal stuff. And so that's probably a, a, a good thing to bring up in that like, Sales enablement is driven by anecdotes, at least early on. That's what my my experience has been. And it's taking like all the tribal knowledge and tribal experience of the reps that have been there for a very long time, disseminating that to everyone else and figuring out how, okay, this worked for you. This is, this is how you get a lot of meetings. And I can see that in the data that you have a higher percentage like uh, meeting rate than some of the other ones. What are you saying? Well, let's have the other people say that too and see if it works. So a lot of it is just like these listening meetings. Jeremy, how do you get so many people to call you back on X, Y, and Z? Um, great. Now we'll, we're going to take that out to everyone else. So a lot of it is that kind of conversation and, and, and taking taking the success and spreading it across the organization. Makes sense. And are you guys using like a multi-prong approach, like a bunch of emails and phone calls and LinkedIn touches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, and I'm curious to what your experience has been, if you've seen any of this too, like, you know, with the pandemic, things have changed. We, we are doing multi-prong, we're doing emails, we're doing phone calls. 
yeah, there's even some WhatsApp stuff because we're, we have a lot of like kind of international customers too. Interesting. Um, and there's LinkedIn, you know, there's still like the kind of connection. Here's a little message type thing. You know, I think it's getting tougher. Like I've, I've been doing demos for webinar solutions and obviously people are calling me on my cell phone and I, I rarely answer my cell phone because I'm like, I don't know this number. Who is it? And then I'm like, oh, right. It's that demo requested three hours ago. Like <laughs> I should have picked up. So yeah, I don't know. Are you, what are you, what is, what's your, your experience been like with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of heading up the marketing here. And what I've been using is I created our podcast uh, that we post on Spotify. And then I take interviews like we're doing now. And then I'll splice them into like little videos and post them onto our LinkedIn. So I'm really driving a lot of traffic to our LinkedIn page. Sure. And we, we've had quite, I mean, like 5,000 hits, I think. Like, oh, that's awesome. Recently, just because yeah. we've been interviewing, you know, companies that are much bigger than us. And I think that that also helps with a little bit of a brand awareness so that when someone actually sees you, you're not as scary. I, I don't know how you measure those things, but I know it helps. And then the other thing that we're doing is I, I run outreach campaigns as well for, and, you know, A-B testing all my subject lines, but they're all like automated emails. I'm not really doing much personalization there. Those are kind of like the main things. And we also use something called lead forensics where mm. we could look at to see like who's got, been on our website and then I'll go in and find a contact and then throw them into a sequence just to see if we could drum up anything there as well. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, with all the data that's out there these days, like you can, you can almost get into like data paralysis if you, if you try to do too much with all of it. Cause at the end of the day, I do think it comes down to like, you're driving people to your LinkedIn and, and, and you're hoping that they have a pleasant experience there. Right. And then it is kind of, there is some that you got to have faith in that the stuff that you're putting out there is warming people up to your name so that when you call, they they pick up the phone. And that's that's the thing I've actually been talking to our sales reps about. There's never, like, despite what all of us want to believe, there's never one sentence that's going to get so many people to agree to buy your thing. It's all part of one larger message. And that's why you, that's why you need somebody that can look at the holistic side of both marketing and sales. Every touch that someone gets is warming them up a little bit to maybe let them pick up the phone the next time they they see you calling or the next time they hear your company's name be like oh yeah oh you're jeremy right i've seen your name i, I saw you on you, you were on that podcast cool what what is it that you actually do because of all those touches that you couldn't really attribute to any specific campaign or dollar amount that month it will ultimately add up to to, to making this case for that person to, to take your take your call yeah, the interesting thing too with like podcasting is that since you're you're talking to someone mainly about, you know, you're more interested in them versus yourself. And I think at, at that point, that's what kind of allows people to start sharing it. And it kind of has like more of like a, a viral effect. I, I also feel like it, at some point too, like we really stay away from like talking about ourselves a whole lot. And then when you do talk about yourself, you already kind of have a platform. So like, I think there's part of that as well. So like building out a platform where you could actually, when you do finally want to talk about yourself. Like you have stuff that, you know, you have people that are listening basically, which is because no one wants to hear you pitch all day long. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it, it's this weird, it's this weird kind of thing too, where if I tell you, oh man, I did this podcast, you should check it out. Jeremy, you probably would because yeah. you're a good guy, but most people are going to be like, oh, well you did a thing. I know you, so it can't be that great. But if you're like, oh, my friend did this podcast, you should check it out. They're gonna be like, oh, cool, you've already vetted it. So now I'll listen to it. So I think it's that same sort of thing where you have a guest on and they're like, oh, I was on this other show. People are like, oh, cool, I should check it out. Versus if you continue to just be like, listen to the thing I made, listen to the thing I made, people are gonna like kind of tune it out. So I think it's right on to like, how do we get our stuff spread out to other networks while you involve the other networks in stuff, in the creation of it. 
think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And also just providing value, I guess, just not, you know, just providing stuff that people want to hear about if it's sales, if it's tech or whatever it might yeah. be. And I, I think that it's, it's coming from that place of, it's almost more from an altruistic standpoint. And I think that that usually works better than the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it seems like that that's, you know, having done a few podcasts myself, we have often found that that is a good way to get guests to be interested. It's like, oh, hey, well, we, you know, we want to, we want to share your story more, come on here. And we, we'd love to kind of like spread it out to, to the other people we've worked with. And, and, and that tends to get uh, more people to kind of buy in on, on, on coming on and also participating in the, in the spread of things. I know you're a good writer too. And writing has always been something that I struggle with. So when you're writing something, is you do you have like a process for how making your messaging and how you come up with the way you're actually presenting all this stuff? Yeah. So the process for me tends to the first thing I do is I don't worry about what I, what the words are that I'm putting down on the paper are, and I just put them down, and they can sound really bad, and that's fine. It's just providing myself a structure to go back to edit. Sometimes it's like, all right, well, these are the three things we do. You should be interested for this particular reason blah, 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 blah. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, these are the beats that I wanted to hit. And one of the things that I do, and it's, it's been successful for me, for me my whole life, it may not be for everyone, is I am very casual in the way that I talk and, I, and very casual in the way that I write. I keep it professional, it's casual professional, but it is like in a voice that's not academic. It's in a voice that sounds like I'm just reaching out to my friend, Jeremy, and uh, hey, I, I you know saw you on this thing and it seems like we have mutual interests. You know, you might be interested in this thing. With that, I think it kind of catches people off guard, gets them out of their rhythm of I'm getting all these salesy emails or all this salesy messaging and and having to like live in that professional setting. You'd be like, oh, I feel like this person wrote this email specifically for me, even if I didn't. People feel that way. And so it, it stands out enough for them to be like, okay, cool. Well, sure, I'll read it. Maybe they won't reply, but at least you're you're breaking through that noise. I like that style a lot. I like the name that you had for it. You said it was like casual professional or something. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> casual. I did. I did. I'm sure. I'm sure other people have said it. I don't know that it's a specific term, but it is. You know, it makes sense. I've never heard it, but I like. I like. I get what you're saying because it's almost like almost street, more street, almost like more like friendly vibe than super professional atmosphere that no one really enjoys listening to. I always struggle right. too, though, when being in a new place, when the culture at the company is super professional and then being that casual person within that particular area. Do you, do you yeah. find that as well? Yeah, no, I totally do. I think that's tough. I think I've been fortunate to not land at a lot of places that have been super professional. And I think maybe because I think I am who I am. And in my interviews, the casual professional comes through for the most part, if I'm getting hired somewhere, they know what I am. Um, and so I can kind of lean into that. But but there, are, there have been times where it's been like, all right, I need to step up my executive speak in this email because I'm, you know, emailing out to this specific person and, and I can make that work. But at the end of the day, sometimes it just feels like it's phony. And I think mm. people appreciate authenticity now more than they really have in the past. And it's not going to be every market. If, if you're exclusively marketing to a more old school industry versus tech, then you might have to change kind of your approach a little bit. And, and that's that comes back to that listening side, right? It's like, what is working for this market and what's not? But yeah, no, you're right. I think sometimes it can be tough to, to be the, the casual guy in the in the professional office. I just roll with it. And then if they have a problem with it, we'll deal with it later. You know what? You're right, though, because I think that if you find your tribe and you find your people that you want to work with and the companies, it's, it's really you're just selling yourself out if you're trying to work for companies that are super professional and you're a casual kind of guy. And I've done that before in the past. 
And I think that's when I got myself in trouble because I was just trying to be someone that I wasn't and then just end up falling on your face because it just doesn't work. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, sometimes, listen, sometimes you got to take a gig because you need the money. You got to pay rent. But but other times, like, you got to find you got to find your spot. And we've talked about this before. And we have we have a, a network that crosses over in a lot of ways. And obviously, we've worked together before. A lot of the people that I've worked with in the past are people that I would work with again. And it is because we have that same kind of, as you said, you found your tribe. And we all kind of have the same mentality and the same approach to things and we're successful doing it. So it's great to keep those people close. Um, and I think that 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 can be important too, is you, just because you left a place doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to talk with these people that you had good camaraderie with at the time. Because who knows who's going to be where in five years and, and when it might make sense to bring somebody in that can do what you do. No, it's interesting because we worked together. It was at least three or four years ago now, right? Yeah. Had, yeah, had, yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a while. So like, it, I'm still in contact with, you know, pretty much half the people that we worked with still. So you're absolutely right. When you find those people that, you know, you vibe with, never lose those people and just continue talking to them because you never know you end up working with. I, I think you ended up, a lot of our, the people that we actually hung out with ended up working at similar companies and kind of crossed over and kind of works yeah, that way. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Like there will be times where like someone will go off to a company for a little bit and then in a couple and like 18 months later, all of a sudden they show up at an interview that at the place you're at. It's like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> you must have talked to so-and-so. Great. Cool, cool, cool. I'm sure that that's not unique to a lot of businesses, but, but I do consider myself lucky to have found people that I collaborate well with and that I can continue to work with. How do you feel about sales decks? I like sales decks because they provide structure, but I also prefer people to not read them. So it's like, <laughs> it's the same way I feel about sales scripts. You need a script so you know when to stop using the script. I, I want you to have a sales deck because a couple of things, I think it helps get people on the same page if you're doing a demonstration for someone where it's like, we can agree that this is a problem that the industry is facing. This is the pain that the industry is facing. Let's learn a little bit more about what it is that your specific pain is great. Now let's throw the rest of this out and we're going to show you how we solve it. And I think that that is really beneficial and similar to going to that sort of like, let's have a holistic view across marketing and sales and make sure that messaging is tight. You need the sales deck to provide you with that messaging. Um, but again, specifically so you can leave it behind when you find out what the actual pain is with the person you're talking about. Yeah. It was interesting the way you worded that sentence to you. You said we could agree that. And I think that in my mind, when you said that, it made me like, oh yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting yeah. like how like when you use words in that such a way that disarms them, but it also makes them kind of be like, all right, like, yeah, like you're, they're following your path basically. And 100%. It, it, <laughs> I mean, and that, and that's what it is, right? And that is, that is like probably like, I mean, that's part of the psychology of sales, right? It's like, we're on this meeting together and, you know, we're, we're experts in the industry, but you're actually in the industry we've noticed this kind of thing is going on. We can both agree that this is an issue. And if, if it doesn't get solved, then companies are going to continue to do poorly. So with that understood, at that point, you have established, like, we both know this is a problem. What I know is that I'm about to solve this problem we just agreed on. And if you can get them in on the problem, then great. You have the solution for that problem. Now that comes to showing the value and then making sure that it fits what they specifically need to do. But that is a big part of that, that sort of Let's agree on why we're here. And once we do, then I can show you how we can solve things. 
Yeah, it is interesting because after they kind of admit that they have that problem, it's kind of a lot harder for them to be like, oh, what you're showing me, if it solves what you said it's going to solve, it seems like it makes, it's kind of easier for them to be like, okay, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then, and then it comes down to how big of a problem is it for them? And, and you're not, you know, you're not going to strong arm somebody into that, but that's, that's the difference between a well done sales stack, which is we can find this common ground and one that's just like, we are this company, we were established at this time, and these are the features that we have. And it's like, great, cool, looks good, but I don't know how that is relevant to me. No, I, I totally get it. It's, and usually those decks too are all about like, you know, like you said, like the company, like what year they were started. And it's just just all this like very narcissistic information that their mom might care about it, but <laughs> <laughs> right, right. but no one else, right? Yeah, yeah. But even in my experience, my mom doesn't care too much about it. So what about uh, product demos? Are you a fan of those? Yeah, I prefer I prefer a hybrid between those two, right? So I prefer the I've got like a, a twenty stay a twenty slide deck here. We're gonna go through the first four of them, and then we're gonna jump into the product, and I'm gonna show you how we're specifically gonna solve these problems. So yeah. I, I like that approach, and you know, then you can always return to oh, well, if you want some statistics, I have this pulled up here. I'll send you the presentation after. Don't worry about it. That whole thing. But I do like the product demo because you're showing someone this is how. We solve the problem. And it also gives the benefit too of my favorite thing is you get to tell a story. You get to be like, all right, so Jeremy here is in your position and he's coming in and he's got to do X, Y, and Z. This is how he would do it with a solution. Then people can really envision, oh, cool. This is how I would do that. Um, and it gives a specific concrete example versus statistics and sentences that you could find on a website. That is interesting. I do feel that people definitely buy from stories and yeah. it's it's so much easier to hear a story about something and be like, okay, yeah, I understand that because there's parallels to like, you know, real life examples of things that you already know and other frameworks. So are you, are you pretty big on storytelling in your, in your sales process? Yeah, I am. And I mean, that it's been a minute since I've tried to apply this to it, but I, I do think that there's a benefit to taking basic story structure and applying it to your sales presentations. And I mean, and part of that is, I don't know, have you, are you familiar with Joseph Campbell? And I know, I haven't heard of him. Okay, that's fine. So, so Joseph Campbell is a scholar of mythology and he basically took a look at stories that were told throughout human history and distilled them down to these are the core things that make a story engaging and rewarding for people to listen to. Mm. And um, a lot of it starts off with what's known as like the call to adventure. It's like you have a person, they're at home, they're in a place and then they get something that is causing them to need to change. And so that... Honestly, that's your pain slide when it comes to doing a presentation. You're doing this stuff, it's been going okay. And now there's been a big change in the market, a change in the industry. So now you you gotta you gotta choose whether or not you wanna go past that or stay kind of where you are. And I think the more that you can echo these story beats that people respond to and have seen to respond to throughout human history, the better your, your demos and decks are going to be. Maybe pretty pretentious and high-minded to say that kind of stuff. I think it's true. Sorry. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Andy Raskin and they talk about that with his stuff as well, that like there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers, right? And like, do you want to be on the winning side of things or do you want to sure. be on the losing side of things? Like this, this stuff's changing. So yeah. like, you, you better change or you're going to be like, irrelevant basically yeah it's been interesting too i one of the challenges i had at a at this i was at before this one was i was doing marketing specifically to a client base and so we had to kind of thread the needle of like listen what you're doing is great because you're using us but you could be better <laughs> with these other things that we also do and so so that had to be a big like yeah you know when you signed on you had these goals and you crushed them 
but uh, you know, not our fault, not your fault, the world's changing. So we need to get back into that sort of how do we evaluate and escalate. And I mean, it is true too, but it just was kind of a, a funny, different way to have to go about things. Yeah, I could see that. I know what you mean. We actually are moving people from a different version of our software right now and people really don't like change at all. It yeah. seems like in any industry you're in, they just don't, they like what's comfortable and what they know. Absolutely. Is that what you find as well? Yeah. And I mean, a hundred percent. That's the, that's the hardest thing. The hardest thing to fight against is the status quo. Unless somebody's really facing a very dire financial situation, they're okay with sticking with what they have. Unless you get the right kind of person that is just kind of an innovative mind that really wants to come and shake things up. People tend to want to stay in the same patterns that they already have. And so that's why you have to come in and be like, I know what you've been doing has been working, but look at what might be coming. So let's talk about that instead and figure out how we can get to the answer before everyone else does. Yeah, it's interesting because if you're an entrepreneur and you're a millionaire already and you've been using, you know, spreadsheets your whole life and you're making yeah. money, it's like you're making money. So at the same, like the universe has basically told you that you're successful, but yeah. maybe you could be more successful, you know, doing other stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to bring this up uh, as, a, as an aside, but it's like a, an example of that sort of um basketball and are you a basketball guy jeremy do you like to watch uh okay, i'll watch it not. occasionally okay no, so I'm a huge basketball guy that's but, fine yeah. that's fine so there there's been a big trend in basketball over the past like five to ten years of moving to like what is called like a motion offense and and you're going for more threes and and layups like sure. because efficiency has said that those if you can shoot them they're they get you more points obviously right makes sense and so you've seen that specific thing. There's like kind of these two types of coaches. There's the coaches that are, I'm already an NBA coach. And for my whole life, I've done it this one way. I'm not going to change because I've been successful doing it this one way my whole life. And then there's other ones that are, I innovate and I've seen things change and the game is changing. So how do I change to adapt to this? And they're the ones that are winning titles now. And so it is hard to maintain that innovation mindset, especially if what you have done spreadsheets has gotten you to becoming a millionaire. It's important, obviously, to continue to be like, all right, well, what is the next thing to reach out to? And right now it's tough because I'm, I don't, I don't want to get on TikTok, but, <laughs> but that's where people are. So I'm like, do I need to get on TikTok for marketing purposes? I don't know. Let's talk about that actually. Cause I was talking sure. to a gal that runs her a podcast. She's really cool. Blythe from leave. You should look her up. She has a podcast called, she has one that's cyberly on freight waves and another one called digital dispatch, but she, cool. she uses TikTok all the time. And I don't know, I, maybe I'm a dinosaur. Cause I just feel, I don't know, maybe it's my ego. Cause I, I just don't really relate to, I haven't actually gone on it. And I don't either. So I'm just trying to figure out like what, other methods are good for business, right? Is it Instagram? I know LinkedIn obviously is good, but- Well, this goes to, to sort of what we were talking about earlier. It's like knowing your audience, right? You know, I, I do think, I think that there's a huge, I think there is huge potential for TikTok to be used for that sort of customer interaction, but I don't know that it's in either of our industries, right? So you got to think about where does your customer live? What do they react to? Are they on TikTok? Are they on TikTok when they're at work? Uh, if the answer to both of those things is no, then I don't think you have to worry about it as a marketing channel. If there's a potential, I do think that it is a, it's very easy for those to spread virally. There's a lot of fun stuff on it. So like at least the things that make it to my Twitter feed where I see the TikToks because I'm not actually on TikTok. I can see why, like if I'm trying to build my own personal brand, I think it's a great spot to be. Yeah, I could see that with a personal brand. I, I struggle though with like a company side of it. Maybe yeah. Instagram for lifestyle. 
I could see just to show that you guys are like good people that you're not, yeah. that you have fun. Yeah. Actually. And I think, you know, I, you know, this is probably just me trying to find a reason not to get on TikTok, but I think it does come to that authenticity side too, right? It's like, is it authentic for you? Is it, are you presenting an authentic version of your company by being on TikTok? Probably not. Most likely, I think people will see through that and, and roll their eyes at it. Unless you're like selling fitness wear or something. I don't know. Yeah. Authenticity is huge. Is, have you learned any tips on how to just be your authentic self over the years? Um, so this is actually a tip that I think uh, you could take to workplaces. You know, I, I did, I did a stint at a company that was really big on bringing your whole self to work. Sometimes is something they actually mean. And sometimes it's something they actually, they don't actually, but, and that's up for debate. But one thing that they did that I liked was at the start of some meetings, almost always your Monday morning meetings, and occasionally throughout the week, they would do a color check-in, which sounds kind of lame, but they would be like, all right, well, we'll go around the room and be like, I'm feeling like I'm a green today, which means I'm good to go. Yellow, I got something on my mind, whatever, red, I'm, I'm in a bad spot for whatever reason. And you can sure. expand on it if you want, but the whole reason behind it, aside from building like connections with your you know, coworkers and, you know, just knowing how they're doing that day is like, if I know Jeremy had a, had a rough night last night and he's a red and he tells me that and we're in a meeting and he seems distracted, I'm not going to be like, what's Jeremy's deal right now? It's like, I know he's got stuff going on. And so, that's cool. yeah. And, and I really appreciated that. And, and it did bring up ways for people to bond with each other. And, and so that kind of authenticity at work, I think was a, created a really unique and, and good environment. So that sort of like being open with people that are around you, as long as you can foster that environment from everyone, because there's some places where that can get you in trouble. And I, I think that that's a really good, a really good tool to have. No, I like that because then you can kind of see what's there, what a person's struggling with at that particular moment, or if they're happy or whatever it might be, it gives you a little bit more insight into what's going on in their head psychologically. Yeah. It's interesting too, though. I always struggle when companies do that though, yeah. with like, Hey, tell me at first, I, I felt like I, I always want to fight it myself for some reason. I don't know why. Like I, I do too. I do too. Yeah. It was, it was helpful that it came from the top down. It was like, you know, our CEO was someone that really believed in it. Our managers were the first ones to the door with how they were feeling. And it's not for everybody. You know, there were times when I was like, this feels a little too touchy feely, or like, I feel like you're just trying to get information on me. I don't know how I feel about this, but the consistency of it, the consistency of almost every day coming in and bringing that authentic self to work made it to the, made that culture happen. Again, it's not for every company, but if you value authenticity and you want a way to get to know each other, it doesn't have to be a color check-in, can just be like a, it can be just like, how was your weekend? Like, and, and if you're willing to share, they're willing to share, then it's a, it's a way to know, can I lean on this person today? Um, or do they maybe need a little space? And then tomorrow we can, you know, attack this with ferocity, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So also, I guess last closing parts, let's, let's talk a little bit about books that you've read or any, is there any books that you like that are yeah so i mean I'll, I'll go back to uh the joseph campbell thing heroes with a thousand faces is if you're thinking about narrative and trying to, to think about storytelling i think that applies to so many things it applies to podcasting it applies to sales decks and demos um, beyond just kind of like what you might think of someone writing their own stories it really teaches you how to deliver information and how to construct things in a satisfying way um, it can be a little text heavy, but it is basically like, this is a study of and a formula for how to tell stories. And, and, and once you read that and understand that a little bit, you'll start to see it everywhere. 
um, specifically in Star Wars, right? That is an example where George Lucas specifically has said, like, I pulled almost verbatim these beats from Joseph Campbell's studies on story. And so you get like Luke who has the call of adventure, like go be a Jedi. And he's like, I don't think I want to. And then his, you know, the world that he's in goes bad until he chooses to do it. Like uh, on Tatooine, he's like, I can't stay here anymore. I have to go. And then there's like, there's a lot more to it from there, but, but it is something that I would recommend people check out, especially like you don't have to read the whole book. There's probably like, I think some YouTube videos on like, this is the stuff you need to know from it. But I do think it helps you with conducting sales conversations you might be having. No, that's fascinating. I, I love stories that have light, dark, you know, lightness, darkness, and yeah. some sort of, they're just captivating. And when you start developing these universes like that, they, they're just really interesting and they pull the audience in. So I could definitely see how that's super relatable. Uh, to sales. Is there anyone that you follow too, like on LinkedIn, like Josh Braun or like any of those people like Bilal? Yeah, there's somebody that I think, I don't know that he's super huge yet, but his name is, it's Armand Farrakh. He worked at Carta for a while. I was connected to him because a buddy was an SDR under him. And he actually, I think was looking to start a podcast. Might be someone that you might want to reach out to. Um, And I think he's had a few out at this point. And Um, he's just really great at openers. He's got a couple of things that he like posts some stuff on on um, on LinkedIn about like this is a great way to get someone to agree to take the next thirty seconds or whatever it might be. And and I've really been enjoying his content. He's got a real he's got a real casual, authentic vibe to how he delivers his his pitches. So one more I curious like question for you, actually, because yeah. you'd mentioned openers. Like when you're at a networking event, let's just say it's like a slash question for you, but like a cocktail event, say. And like, you want to go network, but you're just a little bit shy. I'm a, I'm a shy person. Like, I don't necessarily want to go introduce myself unless I'm like, had a couple drinks to me, I guess. So are you pretty good at that yourself? Or how do you no. go about that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bad at it. I'm not bad at it. But I am also a shy person. I, I'm better once I, you know, know some people. I'm very outgoing in that point. But the going up to meeting people is, is never been a thing I've been great at. But I have found that when you're at a networking event, when you're at a cocktail event, people are also feeling that way. Maybe not all of them, but people are, and they're going to be open to someone coming up and saying hi. So that's always been the, that that was kind of the, the, the turn for me. It was like, they're here too. They know this is a networking event. They're probably feeling awkward. So if I just go out and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, I'm Will. And then, then things just start rolling from there. So it's so simple too, just like it introducing is. yourself and your name versus like, hey, like I have this like grand scheme of things that I'm going to try to say to you. A hundred percent. I mean, and cause you don't know what their deal is. Maybe they're a competitor. You don't know, but, and I'm not saying like that to be guarded. I'm saying like, treat them like a person and then find out, oh, is there a mutual interest here? Great. Actually, that reminds me um, one last thing that one piece of sales advice I got from one of my very first managers that I thought was interesting and always stuck with me. And he was like, Treat your prospects, and this won't be for everyone, treat your prospects like someone that you might be wanting to ask out on a date. You find out, in theory, by the end of it, you guys should both be excited about the next meeting. The next steps. <laughs> That's what it should, like, you should be getting to know them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, you should be getting to know them. They should be getting to know you. And if you're both excited, like, should we, we should go on a date. Like, we should have a demo. Like that's what, that's the feeling that you should be trying to get to. Once that kind of got put in that context for me, I was like, oh, okay, I get, I get this now. Like it's not, I'm not trying to combat them to get them to agree to something. It's like, how can we build something kind of cool here together in the next like hour? Or I'm not trying to like all of a sudden change the way I talk and, you know, change like my vocabulary. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Which is a common thing, right? Where people will just all of a sudden it's like business talk and you're like, no, just talk like yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. If I get too much business talk coming at me, I'm just like, I, I zone out or I just, it makes me feel dumb. <laughs> like, well, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. So. Well, anyways, that was super fun. Will, how do yeah. people reach out if they want to connect with you? Sure. Yeah. I'm on most things at Will Lentz, W-I-L-L-L-E-N-T-Z. Uh, feel free to send me a LinkedIn um, request. I'm also on Twitter if you want to check me out there. I work for GoFreight. If you want to check us out, it's gofreight.co. We do freight management software. Um, so feel free to come in and check it out. Shoot me a message if you have any questions. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed the interview and learned a little bit more about sales enablement, which I think will start seeing a whole lot more in the supply chain. It's very common in the startup world, but it makes a whole lot of sense to have kind of someone bridging that gap between marketing and sales and kind of creating all of your narrative for your team. Thanks for listening. Bye.